among us has not wanted to shape God to our own specifications? How often we have wanted to define truth for everyone else and to judge others by standards we ourselves cannot keep. Whether our sins reside in what we have done, in what we have failed to do, or in prideful comparisons with other people, let us confess them now. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God knows our soul's longings, and with the tenderest love, pours out mercy, compassion, and forgiveness on us. Through Christ, we are given new and abundant life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now, with believers down through the ages, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbor.
Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are thankful that you are in our midst and that God has drawn us together such that we may be about the most important thing in life, which is to worship God and to know of God's presence in our life. We hope that you will find this to be a place of welcome and we invite you to fill out the friendship pads and pass those toward your neighbor and most importantly, note those folks who are sitting near you and we would love for you to continue your conversation after the service. Hopefully the heavens will allow us to continue our fellowship out underneath the tree and uh, there will be many opportunities for you to continue in those conversations as well as to learn more about what's going on in our life here. Lots of great things are happening. It's been a very busy week here at Church of the Palms. This past, uh, just yesterday, we commissioned off our senior highs to head off onto their trip to Montreat, which is a big highlight of the summer for them. So a busload of kids headed up to North Carolina. Keep them in your prayers, especially the adult leaders of those kids. Uh, <laughs> And we look forward to their return next weekend uh, with great stories of how God has encountered them there. Our shepherding deacons were uh, together this past yesterday as well for their quarterly uh, updates and training. And uh, that was a great, a great uh, time of being together. And uh, just about 100 or so of those deacons were there to be trained. And we're grateful. And we would love to have more of you join us as we uh, continue to reach out and touch our congregation through this very important ministry. Five elders, uh, along with myself, just returned back from Spokane, Washington. We were at the Elder Leadership Institute learning more about what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? How can we continue to lead our congregation? A very, very profitable time that we shared and we look forward to talking more with our session and with our congregation about great things that we can be doing here at Church of the Palms. Today we begin Life Tree Cafe over in the Campus Center just after this service. If you would like to come and experience this opportunity to have conversation around tables, to wonder together about what God is up to in our lives. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about that in our worship, but we would love to have you come and join us uh, this, this morning, right after our service, 1015 over in the Campus Center. We have rescheduled the Zobrist event. Uh, ben and Juliana Zobris will be here on August the 4th now, and uh, we hope that uh, that game, that, that afternoon game up in Tampa doesn't go into extra innings, and they'll be here at 7 o'clock on August the 4th. So if you hold a ticket for that event, that will be good. If you'd like to buy a ticket, those are now, are now available since we're going to be moving the venue over here to the sanctuary, so we would love to have you sign up for that as well. Our blood drive is today, so if you would like to give that very precious gift, please do so. The Day of Hope is still seeking volunteers. This is a great day in the life of our church, August the 3rd, where you can volunteer to help those who, families of ho homeless children and uh, to support them and encourage them as they make their way in preparation for a new school year. So please uh, see uh, the folks underneath the tree after the service to sign up for that great event on August the 3rd. And then lastly, uh, we just a couple weeks ago uh, celebrated the uh, 103rd birthday of George Hallen, and uh, he just passed away after a long and good life. So keep uh, George Hallen's family in your prayers as they celebrate his life in the upcoming days. Now I'd like to invite Janine Jafrida to come forward. We had a new members class here just uh, recently, a, a special summer edition where we had the chance to receive into membership 
those who are making uh, their affirmations of faith and those who are uh, changing membership from one church to another. And uh, today we get to highlight one. Um, Janine Jafrida has uh, been a part of our church staff here several months, almost, uh, it was almost a year or so, isn't it, right? And uh, Janine's just loving the fact that she's up here one, only by herself in front of this whole congregation. <laughs> you can tell that, can't you? And on TV, no less. So yeah, <laughs> keep that in your mind. So we are uh, delighted that uh, Janine is joining our church. And in fact, she's joining our church in preparation for a new chapter in her life. She is going into the mission field. Uh, she leaves us at the end of August, and she will begin her work in London, England, with a Youth with a Mission. Uh, is that right? That's right. I, I got that right. And uh, she will be, uh, be about leadership training and providing uh, resources for people who will be in the mission field throughout the world in uh, London, England. And so she is grateful to be uniting with this body as uh, we can be supporting her and praying for her as she makes this move into this new chapter of her life. So to that end, Janine and I would like to ask you these questions as you come and become a part of our life here at Church of the Palms. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him? Yes. Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? Will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? Yes. Well, by answering those questions, you have become a member of Church of the Palms, and you have continued your journey with us, and we are grateful for that. And would you please welcome her into our midst? <laughs> I'll pray for you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we're just so grateful to have Janine in our life, and we are thankful that she has uh, officially become a member of our church and grateful that she has felt your call upon her to make this move into a new chapter of ministry in England. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless her and that as we uh, rejoice in our union together as the body of Christ, we rejoice as well in how that body extends throughout the world. So we pray your blessing upon her through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's sing this. I'll give you a hug.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. O sovereign God, as King Nebuchadnezzar confessed, your dominion is an eternal dominion. Your kingdom endures from generation to generation. You are in charge and we would be foolish to think otherwise. We're imperfect, you are perfect. We know a little, you know everything. We can be creative, but you created everything out of nothing by merely speaking the word. We rush from one place to another, hoping to be on time. But you are present everywhere at once. We do thank you that despite your infinite superiority, your love for us is very strong and you proved it when Christ died for us and your spirit brought us new life in Jesus. So Lord, help us to live into that conviction Sometimes it is difficult for us to transfer that conviction into real life. We think our opinions matter as much as the decrees of your word. We are tempted to create a separation between spiritual truth and our daily lives and responsibilities. We know that as biblical Christians, we are meant to live out our faith in the trenches and routines of life. We're meant to hear the word and do the word, whether we're at work, or school or home. So Lord, help us to do this as well as to know this. And then we pray that you will not unite our hearts together as your people. We look around and we see many who instinctively reach out to others in love. May those of us who hold back seek to see all the others of your children as one and not two. One family, one person in you, not they, and me. Your will is that your kingdom should be not about pretending to be together, but about us really embracing each other as precious members of your family. So open our eyes that we may see clearly who you are and what kind of people you are calling us to be. Open our eyes to the wonders of the created world and the human community. Help us to see your spirit at work where people have learned to love in spite of obstacles of race class, age, and culture, where kindness is done in secret and without the ex uh, expectation of reward, and where people who have the power to exact revenge choose instead to offer forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. So as we remember the many ways in which we're blessed, we are aware of ways in which others in our group still suffer. And in the world, it's a broken place and we pray for those who live where hatred still flourishes, fueled by political and religious differences. We pray for those lives who have been devastated by the disasters of this past week, the plane crash and the train ca crash. We pray for our servicemen who are in harm's way. We pray for those who have difficult decisions to make, sometimes having to choose between lesser evils. So Lord, we do need your wisdom. We need all of it. We need your direction, your spirit's power in our daily lives. So help us, we pray, to increasingly experience the abundant life that you have promised. In this service, we pray you'll guide us into the storehouse of your word and help us to find there the wisdom we need to live faithfully and the courage we need to follow you wherever you lead us. Guide us into your perfect will and grant us harmony and unity of purpose as the people of God. 
And as we sing our songs of praise and contemplate your word, may your Holy Spirit minister to each of us as we have need, as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we ask our ushers to come forward and to lead us in the presentation of our tithes and offerings.
midst of the clamoring for all of our resources in various ways, we give our tithes and offerings as symbolic that you are the master, you are the Lord of our life. And we pray that you'll receive that in the spirit in which we give it. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, here is Lori. <laughs> So if there's any kids that want to join me down here, that would be great. If you want to come, it's like worth your trip. It may not be a cookie, but it'll be worth the trip, I promise. So come have a seat. We are going to talk about go. Will you guys scooch this way? Scooch, scooch. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Good morning. Skylar, how are you? This is my buddy from Vacation Bible School. Oh my gosh, he knew all the songs. It was so great. Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to talk about going the extra mile. And I wonder, have you ever gone on a walk or a hike? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah. What if someone forced you? Good morning. Hi. What if someone forced you to carry a heavy pack for that mile. You want to try that, Neil? They forced you to carry it. You think that, you can look at these, you want to try, is it easy for a whole mile? You think it might be easy? I can barely lift it. Go ahead, give it a big, don't, <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> well done, and he's down for the count. Okay, so <laughs> moving right along. It's interesting that Jesus taught on this exact thing a long time ago. He was sitting on this mount, and he did some teaching, and it's from the best sermon ever written, no offense, Steve, on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's from Matthew 5, and I'm just going to read you two verses. Listen to this, because it goes along with what we're talking about. Verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Interesting that if someone is asking us to go a mile, that we should go two. You know why Jesus might have said that to us? Back in that time, if a Roman soldier came up to you, doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be playing. You could be eating dinner with your friends, with your family. A Roman soldier came up to me, he says, Amy, carry my pack for a mile. You would have to drop everything you're doing and you would have to get up and carry that heavy pack for a Roman mile, which is almost like as long as a mile is for us today. So people were kind of angry, but Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of me, we're going to go above and beyond what's expected when it comes to niceness, when it comes to, to kindness. So let me give you an example. Let's say... I wanted to share a piece of gum with my friend. That's nice, right? But what if when I'm here, I go, here, you have a piece of gum, but will you go ahead and share it with everybody? Pass it down the line so everybody can get some? That's kind of the super duper thing that makes it even better. So here's the formula. You do something nice, and then you do something extra to make it super duper. Here's another example. Let's say you go to have dinner at a friend's house. It would be nice to say thank you, right, to the mom and dad. What if when you got home, 
you wrote a thank you note and you sent it to them. That would be that extra thing that you could do that makes it be super duper. And that's what we do as Christians. We go above and beyond with our kindness. And I must think, oh, I've got one more while the gum is going down. Does anyone have trash cans at the end of their drive? Like if you have a trash can after it's gone out? It would be nice to carry your trash can in for your parents. It would be super duper nice if you would do it for your neighbor next door. And if anyone asks you, you go, I'm a follower of Christ. That's what we do. Thank you. Let's, I'll get that to you guys in one second. I've got more, okay? Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us so much and for showing us how to love. Help us go the extra mile when it comes to kindness. Amen. Okay, let's go, guys. Do you want one? Do you want one?
Continuing in our series on the gospel according to baseball, we are in the New Testament with two lessons. First from the book of Romans, the third chapter, verses 21 through 26. Hear the word of God. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Our second lesson from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the first chapter, 12, verses 12 through 17. Paul writes and says, I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service even though I was a formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full repent acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. For that very reason I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your amazing grace, O Lord, we find ourselves here within this worship service attending to your word. Allow these words to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, the McConnell family held their annual gathering at the North Carolina beach for a week each year, we descend upon a beach house on the North Carolina coast, at least three generations of us to spend a few days reconnecting as family, telling the same family stories, laughing at the same family jokes, and learning more importantly about what the last 12 months have brought each of us. This year, one of the family brought a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, not not a real big one, about 500 pieces, enough to occupy the lulls of time and the bad weather afternoons you invariably get at the beach. I am not a puzzle person, but I watched over the days different family members try their hand at assembling, and 
Gradually, the puzzle took shape until the next to the last day of our being there. And on that day, just a few pieces remained, easily to fit into their spaces until it became apparent that we were one piece short. <laughs> one piece short. We looked here, we looked there, we looked everywhere for the one piece nowhere to be found. Strangely, its place in the puzzle was smack dab in the middle. You could not look at this beautiful picture that the puzzle had created without noticing this blank spot right in the middle of the puzzle. We committed a half hour to looking for this missing piece and we could not find it anywhere. So close, one piece away, but so far. The only thing you could do after days and days of working on this puzzle was to notice the missing piece. And for the owner of the puzzle, it was hard to let go of. 499 pieces and all you have left is the reminder that it's incomplete. Good news is the following day we found it right underneath the table its colors blending into the colors of the rug, it made at least one person very, very happy. <laughs> Usually, though, the story doesn't end that way, does it? Your story, my story. We have an idea of how the puzzle is supposed to look and where all the pieces are supposed to go, but life is seldom a completed puzzle, is it? As hard as we try, there always seems to be a few pieces missing as much as we want to have our acts together, our families together, as much as we want to be batting a thousand, as much as we would like to have a perfect score. The truth is, life is not that way. Chad Harbach in his compelling novel, The Art of Fielding, tells the story of a college baseball player, Henry Scrimshander. Henry plays shortstop for his college baseball team and he dedicates his life to becoming the best baseball player. He is good at the bat, but he's even better in the field. In fact, he runs up a streak of errorless games that threatens the all-time record of errorless games played by any player. An amazing feat by a shortstop who gets plenty of opportunities to boot the ball. Henry eats and sleeps baseball, out practicing his teammates hours each day so that he, so that he can become the very best. Harbach describes Henry's philosophy this way, baseball was an art, but to excel at it, you had to become a machine. It didn't matter how beautifully you performed sometimes, what you did on your best day, how many spectacular plays you made. You weren't a painter or a writer. You didn't work in private and discard your mistakes. And it wasn't just your masterpieces that counted. What mattered, as for any machine, was repeatability. Moments of inspiration were nothing compared to the elimination of error. Can you make that throw 100 times out of 100? If it can't be 100, it had better be 99. Well, just as he is a game shy of breaking the all-time record and putting himself into the annals of immortality, Henry gets a ground ball hit to him, and he throws the ball wildly 
to first base, missing the first baseman, and beating a fellow player in the dugout. Henry is completely undone by this. And from that point on, the nearly perfect fielder can't bring himself to field any more balls. What balls are hit to him, he can hardly catch. And what he can catch, he can hardly throw. And he can't let go of the missing piece. And he ends up quitting the team. Life has a lot to do with how you handle the missing pieces. Maybe that's why many of us like baseball so much. Baseball is filled with missing pieces. When you're up to bat in baseball, you must face the prospect that you will fail more than you will succeed. The greatest hitting percentage for a season in a professional baseball in professional baseball was recorded by the great Red Sox hitter Ted Williams in 1941. His all-time best season hitting percentage was 406. For every 10 times that means, for every 10 times he batted, he hit safely around 4 times. 6 outs to every 4 hits. There was a greater chance of Williams making an out than hitting safely, and that was his greatest of all seasons. For his career, he batted 344, a Hall of Fame percentage, nearly twice as many outs, though, as hits over his career, and that is arguably the best hitter in the game. There is no game that absorbs so much failure than baseball. Perhaps the greatest and most Unattainable record in the game is Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. 56 games in a row with at least one hit. A record that some believe will never be matched. 56 games in a row. And yet even during that streak, DiMaggio recorded more outs than hits. The best hitter for the Tampa Bay Rays, James Loney, has hit safely less than one-third of the time. No one, said Lou Brock, a Hall of Fame player, no one can ever master the game of baseball or conquer it. You can only challenge it. Life has a lot to do with how you handle the missing pieces. I suppose that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at in his letter to the Romans, seeking to understand and explain the human condition. He says it plainly and succinctly, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us is able to master the game. Paul, in our lesson from 1 Timothy, gets personal and says about himself, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, a man of violence. Nevertheless, I received mercy. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, Paul says, I am the foremost. 
There is no person more than Paul who understood the human condition, and the human condition is that human beings are a mess. They get it wrong more than they get it right, and Paul knew that because he saw it mostly in himself. No matter how much you practice, no matter how many times you've been around the block, no matter how many hours you've studied, no matter how many symbols you have of your success, the truth is we're still a mess. There was no such thing for Paul as a self-help book. We can't help ourselves, he says. Three out of ten for you and me is a good life. We may have a few pieces in the right place, but there are more gaps than pieces. If the apostle were to walk into Barnes & Noble and pick up a, the 30 days to a new you book, he would start to laugh. 30 days, new you Self-help, oh no, says Paul, it is in Christ that I'm a new creation. The past is finished and gone and everything becomes fresh and new. We live by grace. We live with the profound understanding that we cannot master the game. We cannot conquer the game. We can only challenge the game and we live by grace. It is, of course, the greatest step we can take in our lives when we can see ourselves for who we really are. We can look in the mirror and both cry and laugh. We can take ourselves both seriously and lightly enough to see that we are never going to get anywhere on our own merits. It makes me think of the plight of Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez is the highest paid player in baseball. His contract alone is worth $275 million. Now, I know some of you make that, but most of us don't. <laughs> he is the highest paid player in baseball, and at the same time, one of, especially if you live in the New York area, one of the most vilified, mocked, shamed, and booed more than he has ever applauded. And while there may be a lot of little things that contribute to that vilification, the truth is Alex Rodriguez cannot play up to his contract because no one can play up to that contract. $275 million demands perfection. It demands performance-enhancing drugs. It demands a hit every time. But all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And anyone who places themselves in the position of aiming for perfection loses the whole point. The box doesn't have enough pieces. The picture will never be perfect. Perfectionism, says Anne Lamott, is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. Well, the truth is, she says, you will die anyway. And that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a lot more fun while they're doing it. Can you proclaim your sin? Can you claim your imperfection? 
Paul Tournier, the great 20th century Christian psychologist, was giving a lecture over here in the United States about the Christian life. And at the end of the lecture, a young man got up and started railing about how the problem with the church is, is that it's filled with hypocrites. And he went on and on about how so many Christians are hypocrites, but Dr. Tournier, who spoke French, did not understand what the young man was saying when he was saying the word hypocrite. So finally, he had someone explain to him what, what the word hypocrite meant. And someone came up and said, well, it says that it means, you know, it's some person who does one thing, says one thing and does another. And Dr. Tournier, finally realizing what the word meant, said, ah, c'est moi. I received mercy, Paul writes to Timothy, so that in me, the foremost of the sinners, Jesus Christ might display his utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. The utmost patience. This is the God who watches us from the stands, the one of the utmost patience. He sees the missing pieces. He sees the strikeouts. He sees the dribbles to the mound. He sees the wild throws. He sees us tripping on our own laces. He is the one who has the utmost patience. He knows the game. We cannot master it. We cannot conquer it. We can only challenge it, and he will claim us even still. Think of the great 20th century prophet Dietrich Bonhoeffer martyred during the closing days of World War II by the Nazis. It's hard to find a church leader like Bonhoeffer whose life was such a profound example of faithful obedience. And yet, when left alone to his thoughts in a Nazi prison for the last two years of his life, searching his soul Bonhoeffer became to doubt his own authenticity, despairing over his duplicitous nature, strong on the outside but weak on the inside. And so during those months he wrote a poem, too long to quote in its entirety, but here is how the poem ends, a poem called, Who Am I? Who am I, he writes, this man or the other? Am I then this man today and tomorrow another? Am I both all at once an imposter to others, but to me little more than a whining, despicable weakling? Does what is in me compare to a vanquished army that flees in disorder before a battle already won? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, you know me, O oh God. You know I am yours. You know I am yours despite the missing pieces, despite the 300 average, despite the hypocrisy. I am yours. 
Years ago, I got into a conversation with a friend of mine about recurring dreams. Many of us have recurring dreams. Mine, as I have told you before, is the dream of waking up late for a test without having studied and the excruciating run to the classroom for a test for which I'm not only late, but unprepared. My friend shared with me his recurring dream. In his dream, he is on the pitcher's mound in a professional baseball game, and he is pitching. And every pitch he pitches gets slammed for a home run. He is just getting killed on the mound. Every pitch, bang, a home run. And the fans are booing. And he has this terrible feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And he looks over at the dugout and he sees the manager coming out to the mound. And in baseball, when the manager walks to the mound, it means you're coming out. It means you're done. So the manager ascends the mound and my friend looks at him and it's the face of his father. His father has come to him on the mound. And his dad says to him, it's okay, son. You're going to be all right. It's okay, son. You're going to be all right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is the secret of the saints. It's the art of the game to know that. Whoever I am, O oh God, I'm yours. Despite who we are, despite what we've done, despite how many selves there are on the inside and the outside, despite how many swings and misses, how many errant throws to first, His patience is utmost. His grace is sufficient. He knows the game is never mastered, never conquered, just challenged. Three hits out of ten, and that's all right. Missing pieces. But still he sees the picture. Whoever I am, O oh God, I am yours.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.